What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and all the places you need your music to be. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in-store 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor fastest payouts they help out with automatic splits cover song clearance and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases i dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians bands studio artists DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home, and they also offer label services as well. They've got three different tiers to offer creators that start as low as $22.99 a year. That's just $1.92 per month, and even their top tier breaks down to only $7.50 per month. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper for you. Check out the link in the episode notes. I also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it'll give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their longtime support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Drops. Drops are an organ-based edible company and one of my go-tos when I'm heading into the dispensary. Their consistency and price point keeps them in my regular rotation of gummies. I love their 100 milligram canisters that have the little 5 milligram bites in there. They make it easy to monitor dosage and not get unexpectedly blasted. The chill ones are my favorite. They're this banging watermelon flavor and one thing that I love about these edibles is that they taste great. Sometimes you get some edibles that pack a punch but taste horrible and drops I have to be careful with because they taste so good that I just want to eat them like a bag of Sour Patch Kids. With drops you can choose your edibles based on how you want to feel. That's possible because drops are made with live rosin, a solventless full spectrum cannabis concentrate. As a full spectrum concentrate, rosin contains the full array of psychoactive compounds in cannabis which work together to give each strain its unique effect. All of their cannabis is flash frozen and processed into that live rosin. The flash freezing prevents plant material from decomposing and preserves terpenes that evaporate during the traditional drying and curing processes. They come in 10 different flavors and strains to choose from, including several CBD variations. You can find drops at your favorite local Oregon dispensary. Just tap into the link in the episode notes to find a supplier in your area. Big thanks to Drops for their support. Let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts. 
giving it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast, and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. Give that thing a rating. If you're listening on Spotify, tell a friend about the podcast, leave a comment on a social media post, and tell somebody about those monthly playlists that I've been dropping every first of the month. They are available on Apple and Spotify, pretty spread out genre wise, just a snapshot of what I'm listening to. That June one is definitely up there now. And the links for those are in the episode notes. Hope everyone is doing well out there. I'm preparing to leave for a two week tour run with high pulp. The bus should be pulling up here in the next couple hours, and we will be heading down to California for seven shows down there, including San Francisco Jazz Fest. Really looking forward to that one. And then back in Portland, Oregon on June 18th to finish up the tour. So I'm stoked to hang with the band and get back on the road. And I am stoked to share episode 363 of the podcast with you. Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter Ali Crow Buckley is on the show this week. Had a great chat with Allie. She's got a brand new record called Utopian Fantasy. It's out on vinyl and also available wherever you stream music. It's a killer record and we talk about it quite a bit in this chat and we'll also share some tunes throughout the episode from it. She was super kind and generous with her time, loved the tunes that she is writing and it was cool to hear about her process around songwriting and recording. Her approach to recording vocals for records in particular I thought was some cool insight on how she's able to capture this authentic take of the song and the lyrics that she's delivering. So I'm pumped to get into this one. Allie is currently on tour doing some of her own headlining dates as well as some support dates for Lord Huron. Check out those dates if you want to catch her live. All of the links for Allie Crow Buckley will be in the episode notes. And we are going to kick off episode 363 with a track from Allie Crow Buckley's new record, Utopian Fantasy. This one is called I'm Not Really Here. Let's do the damn thing.
before uh talking to you (laughs) yeah and uh yeah definitely stoked on the on the new record it sounds really great but uh want to dial it back before we jump into that and just uh maybe talk to me about your early memories of of getting hooked into music either as a player or listener yeah i think a lot of my music taste is influenced by my parents they have pretty special, awesome taste in music. So I grew up listening to a lot of songwriters like Lucinda Williams, Ricky Lee Jones. Um, and my dad really loved Prague. And so we listened to like King Crimson a lot in the car growing up and, you know, just various things. My dad was a total deadhead. So my first show was the Grateful Dead. So (laughs) they just, I grew up in a house of real music lovers and music fans and you know so it was it was awesome i think that those are probably my earliest memories and my mom has records that she calls my womb music (laughs) (laughs) i listen to the records now and i mean they're just the coolest records and so i think i was preconditioned to um songwriting and 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 quote well what i consider to be great music and and great records so that's probably one of the biggest influences or how I got into making music. And it always had a love of poetry ever since I was a child. I used to dictate poems to my mom before I could write. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, we have a couple. (laughs) (laughs) They were pretty special. Um, So that's sort of where the writing came in. And yeah, very creative parents, definitely. Yeah. That's cool that you like did that with the poetry, because I would imagine that's almost like maybe similar to learning like a cover tune where you're like kind of like even if it's subconsciously you're kind of like really getting to see the the structure like the format of like how words work together and whatnot absolutely it's very funny when you read them back now because they're somewhat on brand for my adult (laughs) self which i always (laughs) always love a lot of swan imagery you know (laughs) But it was always like pretty, even from the beginning, as far as what you were listening to, it sounds like it was pretty wide genre wise and you're being Absolutely. exposed to a lot of different stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you gravitate towards the the songwriting from a pretty early age? Like what was the... I did. I think just storytelling in general. Also, my father was, he used to make up a story every night for us as children. So every night before bed, we had a story menu. And we would choose from the story menu and he would just go. So I had that. And then, of course, my mom, my father, too, loves great songwriting. But my mom was, you know, she just that was her that was her number one thing. So, yeah, I think even from an early age, they would explain lyrics to me. They would ask me, you know, they're very engaged artist parents. So, yeah, engage with me on what I thought it meant and, you know, things like that. So absolutely. It was keyed into that. 
for sure. Lots of early opportunity for you to stretch your, your own mind and, and participate exactly. in that creativity. Yes. Yeah. And what was the, uh, the first instrument that you, uh, started messing around with? Yeah. I mean, I took piano as a child. Um, I was mostly into writing, so it was always creative writing for me from a very early age and writing poetry. And I didn't even start writing songs until I was 23. Oh, wow. Okay. I would say 22. Okay. 22 is when I really started writing songs and I had taken lessons with various things. Like I had taken banjo lessons, piano lessons here and there, nothing really stuck. And then I got an auto harp actually. And it was the easiest tool for me to sort of get my point across melodically. So I used it more as a tool to write melodies from. Do you know what I mean? So really, I think most of my writing, you know, I tend to have the lyrics first or a poem and then I will sing it. Oh, wow. Okay. Sing it out and then usually find what the chords are after or oftentimes I will have because I write mostly primarily on synth now particularly synth bass so I I still keep it rooted yeah um, literally and figuratively so you know sometimes I'll just play three chords and, and see what what comes out melodically that way too so yeah I love all the synth bass that like exists in your music especially with the utopian fantasy record for sure that's like such a cool aesthetic for the the music for sure i mean it's how i write all of the songs basically just about i mean i love low end i can almost hear bells chiming from the church of saint mary challenges do you like find that maybe you come across since you are writing lyrics maybe separately and then trying to find their place in these uh in the music that you're writing for it it's interesting i think that i have actively i've decided to not further my understanding of theory which you know to each their own but i've decided to do that because i enjoy the magic and sort of wonder of not knowing what I'm playing particularly. Absolutely. So just, especially when I'm writing, just to have that freedom, not be like, Ooh, should, it, should there be a fifth there? You know, I just, I don't know. I'm just going yeah. with the flow <laughs> Yeah. and it's unusual, but that's just, that's just how I do it. No, that's, I think that's, you know, important to, you know, to not always get caught up in those, in the theory of things and get too far in your head or, you know, it kind of, kind of takes away the mystery of, of things for some people, I think. Exactly. For some. And I'm one of those people. Of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems to work the other way for, for <laughs> others as well. You know, <laughs> I know you moved around a lot as a kid. 
So I'm curious, did you find that the writing was something that you kind of cling to, like your way of processing the kind of like ever-changing world that you were experiencing in all these new environments? That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I think the internal world is a very um, important part of my creative process. And maybe maybe that was because you moved around so much. I really enjoyed moving because we were very fortunate to have parents that only wanted to live in very beautiful places. <laughs> so I thought it was a good exercise, you know, to move around constantly, have to adapt to new situations all the time, new schools, new environments, new countries, um, new cultures. So I enjoyed that, but definitely the internal world was something I took with me everywhere. And that's very much uh, where I write from sort of this yeah internal world so definitely i'm sure that had something to do with it yeah so are you also like one of these people now that just like kind of always has this itch to be somewhere else or like when you're yeah you're in a space for too long you're like i gotta you know i gotta go see some other stuff i i mean a little bit yes and no i think i did that for a while until i found you know a place well, two places that I really love. So yes, I definitely hop back and forth to have the balance. I'm here in Ojai, California, which is so beautiful. And then um, spend a lot of time in the English countryside. So I kind of have this balance and that's sort of the balance of my personality, you know, like this very Californian side. And then also sort of my love of classical arts and also just the climate of England and you know, the history. It's nice to have that yeah. balance. So I think I've found a good balance now, but I do have both. So yeah, I would also just imagine that just like informs your writing so much to have all these different experiences, like not just like life experiences with interpersonal relationships, but just like these opportunities to see different parts of the country or different parts of the world and how that informs your, your writing. Absolutely. Because my environment is is and has always been, you know, one of the most key elements to my creativity and my creative process and, and just my happiness in general. I'm, I am very, very influenced by my surroundings where I live, my environment. Yeah. You're in Ojai now? I'm in Ojai right now. Yes, That's one of my enough. favorite places in, oh, in the world. Yeah. I. Yeah, I grew up spending a lot of time there as a as a kid. My grandparents lived there yeah. until I was like 25. So for the and I lived in Southern California up until 10 years ago, so I would I spent a lot of time up up in Ojai and I recently got to go back and I was on tour recently and I I was like I'm booking a show for you in Ojai just so just so I can go to Ojai again. <laughs> Absolutely. It really is such a magical place. It feels like old California. It's somehow just maintained. It's it feels like the 70s or something. What I imagine the 70s. <laughs> I'm told from my parents the 70s felt like. Yeah, absolutely. As far as uh you know, starting to to write music, what what sort of sparked that for you? I think it was a culmination of a lot of things. I mean, I think as and for me, at least as a creator, at some point you, you choose, you know, I grew up painting, dancing, sculpting, you know, singing, um, writing poetry and doing photography, just all sorts of things. We had 
very artistic house and I did a lot of different classes and, and sort of exercised all of those sides of myself and music really embodies all of that. And so I think that's what really sparked it, you know, like, wow, I can write poetry and create music, my favorite thing, and make beautiful visuals and incorporate dance and photography and film, you know, all, yeah. that's what's so special about music, right? It, it is this all-encompassing art form. So I think that that was one of the main reasons I wanted to, and then at a certain point, you just don't have a choice. You just, that's what you're meant to do and you have to do it and it's yeah. propelling you forward every day. So you, you like to be pretty involved, I would imagine, like in these music videos that are being made and, you know, the aesthetic of like all the photos and whatnot. Yes, possibly to a fault. I'm <laughs> involved. I don't know. I would imagine that gives you more attachment to the thing that you're putting out too, though. Like if you're so passionate about the thing, then I think it's great that you're super involved in everything. Very, very, very involved. Very so when you're like writing the music and like, can you kind of always visualize something while you're writing? Like, do you feel like all of those things are just yeah. kind of pouring out of you even through the music? Interesting. I think that that whenever I'm writing a record, usually the music and the visuals, the sort of world, they come through at the same time, you know? So you start writing this thing and you're, at least for me, seeing seeing the visuals, feeling out the, you know, themes and what wants to come through and it does all kind of happen at once you know start by seeing a painting or something or a myth i will have read and i've written two songs and you sort of realize that everything is this one world that's starting to come together and it just yeah slow slowly the culmination of all of those things so yes it it definitely happens at once for me and then when I, as i get further down into the record process you know all those things start to influence each other you know so painting will then influence the song or the song will influence what, you know, the imagery, imagery is going to look like and, you know, all of it's one. And as far as uh, environment kind of informing your writing, I think one of the things I really enjoyed, like even going back to your So Romantic EP is just, you know, these references for particular places. That's always mm. been something that I've really gravitated to with lyrics just because it always gives me something I, I can like imagine in my mind, like even if it's not a place I've ever been to it yep. rooted in that of, imagery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of allows me to create that image, even if I have no reference for it. Is that something that's always kind of uh, been something that's kind of been transcending for you, like referencing those things in, in the lyrics and having those a part of the writing canon? Yeah. I don't think it's a conscious decision. I think that, you know, it's it just happens you know it's just these worlds they just begin they they bloom they come out of nowhere like i i when i listen or i remember listening to so romantic or in any of listening to moonlit devious or utopian fantasy i've said to friends recently you don't realize the themes until after sometimes You're like oh wow those are all the different themes that are running through this whole body of work so yeah places times i'm very influenced by place i mean i wrote almost all of moonlit and devious about the strange village i went to in uh, very rural italy and then i had been living in malibu at the time of so romantic and i think you can kind of hear the beach town element yeah. of it you know it's oceanic in a way so i think it just 
when you're creating something or when I was recording Utopian Fantasy, a lot of it was written and recorded in the woods in England. And I think you hear that. So, so much of it has to do, you can almost capture those places where you are and, and maybe that's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like my takeaway from going through like each collection of tunes is that they definitely feel like they live in different places. Yeah, you know? totally. It's like there's the continuity of like your songwriting and your delivery of things for sure. But even that changes from record to record and collection absolutely. of tunes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was saying the other day that So Romantic is Water, uh, Moonland Devious is Earth, and this record is air. So we're kind of in like this elemental, we got fire next. Ooh, Who's we're ready? in the fire. We're in the fire. <laughs> the entire alchemy index. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that opening track to So Romantic, As I Walk Into the Sea, that's just like, yeah, that, that's just like one of those opening tracks where you, you just had me hooked in from the beginning. I was like, oh yeah, I'm into this. I'm listening to this whole like EP. I'm listening to it again when it's done. You know, love the verses on that one and specifically like the way the second verse comes in on that song and just kind of opens up in the, in the chorus. As I walk into the sea Forget that baby you were pulling me You hold me down Hold me down Some things feel too hard to say Something's style and approach to storytelling in general and uh maybe maybe we've already touched on it but do you have any idea what's like most informed that delivery style do you think it has a lot to do with this uh this process of writing lyrics separately from the music Hmm. yeah it's interesting because it does depend like sometimes i'll write music at the same time as lyrics, or, you know, I'll be playing around the keyboard and sort of things will start to come out. But I think my delivery, my vocal delivery and cadence, it's interesting because when I record, I like to, whenever I can, do all of my vocal takes in one take. And oftentimes, it'll just be the first time singing it on this record, uh, Five Pointed Star and... Cupid and Psyche in particular, that was the first time I sang the words into the world. And it was, I just love that kind of getting to have that moment of being able to capture what wants to come out naturally. So again, I don't think it's a choice 
the way that I sing or what comes out, but it, in my recording process, I do try to do as little cuts or edits as possible, especially when it comes to my vocal delivery. Yeah. I'm, I've, I feel like that's got to, you know, capture maybe the, the rawest, purest form of yeah. that expression too. Like, yeah. so you're not one of these people that wants to just like keep hammering away at a oh, take, oh, 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 take, no. take, <laughs> keep doing it over and over. I can do like a maximum of three takes and I'm like, all right, something in there is good. That's yeah. just <laughs> You just feel like the, the energy is gone kind of after that. Just, you know, then it becomes a performance rather than sort of this transmission right i mean which is also fine i love performing but then yeah. you're you're in your head about it and you're like oh was that cool i don't know whereas you get this purity of intention or this pure form of at least for me again it's not for everyone but for me i enjoy that that part of the process because yeah, it's just like capturing truly capturing the moment of what wants to come out yeah so what was it like being in your early 20s and, and starting to share music that you're writing with people? Like, obviously, you're a very creative person and into the, the performance aspect of things. So was there a lot of nerves or fear around sharing what you were working on? Well, I mean, I didn't play my first show until I was 25. So it's later than a lot of people. But it was it was nerve wracking because I always viewed myself as a writer more than a singer yeah i just that's how i viewed myself um songwriter that's what i do songwrite write for other people enjoy writing you know so it was interesting to try and merge those worlds because i think inherently especially at the beginning when you're stepping into those especially because i wasn't the child like so many of my incredible uh friends who are performance i wasn't the child who was like listen to my song, mom and dad, here's a new one for you. You know, I, no one, here's a fun fact. No one in my life had heard me sing my songs until my first show. Oh, wow. So my mom, my partner, friends, everyone showed up to the show and no one had ever heard me except for my band sing any of my songs. So if, I feel like that's a good indicator of where I was at. You know, I, I felt ready to perform and now it's, you know, it's my most favorite thing. I enjoy performing so much this, to think that you have this transmission with an audience and it just happens once. Yeah. One time, you know, so yeah. I absolutely love it now, but yeah, it was strange, strange beginnings. <laughs> Do you find those to be very different experiences than the, the live show versus being in a studio making a record well no because as i said i i like to do all of my takes live you know so romantic and moonlit, moonlit and devious were recorded all live on the floor okay and i was singing at the time so like nothing sacred for example is just all i don't even think we did any overdubs for nothing sacred it was just that's just the song that happened on the floor which is so wonderful so for me the recording process is very much like performing live and and my vocal takes you know i i'm able to do them live so you get i want to capture some of that magic that happens live so i think it, it's it's quite similar i love i love the recording process i really do yeah that uh that moonlight record definitely seems to exist in this you know this darker place at times and, and dives even more into those like deep synth sounds to go along with the big guitars and 
really feels like it's kind of happening at night underneath the stars at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a much, yeah, dark, dark expression, dark night of the soul record. Do you uh, remember there being any sort of like big jump between making the So Romantic EP and then diving into maybe longer form storytelling with a, a full length record like Moonlit and Devious? I remember there being much of a jump because I mean, So Romantic is pretty long <laughs> as far as EPs go. Yeah. Um, but I always loved, it's kind of like, I, I think of it like a short story. Like, um, you know, So Romantic was my first short story and then Moonlit and Devious was my first novel or something, you know? And so I still try to have those kinds of arcs in my work. I, I like, I mean, you know, sequencing is a really big deal to me because I want to have sort of a story arc and a flow, like reading a good book. Um, so no, I didn't feel overly, it was, it was nice to be able to be in the studio for Moonlit and Devious um, all in one go. Kind of thing, um, which we didn't get to do with So Romantic. It was more sporadic over uh, time. We were only able to go into the studio once in a while to, you know, record the songs. So that part was really wonderful. But no, as, as far as the amount of material, it was it was awesome. I love it. Yeah, and as far as like the the sequencing within a record, is there uh, is there point? Is that where you're like kind of maybe cutting songs and leaving some behind or like figuring no, never, out never cut a song i basically oh, wow. write just like the amount of songs that go on the record yeah and then record them how do you uh you know know that that's the right amount of songs or is it that usually just kind of the the predetermined amount of like i think it's done yeah you know you're just like okay now it's the story anything else would be redundant you know, at least for me, especially because for when, you know, when I'm writing records, they, they, they come in creative spurts. So it's sort of this, here are these five songs and you could write five songs in a week or, you know, then sort of slowly other ones want to come through and, and yeah. be a part of you. Like, I want to be a part of this. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, me, me too. Come on. When you're, when you're working on a project, and you know maybe you have something existing going on and maybe some other song ideas are are coming through is it pretty easy for you to discern like which like if that does belong on that particular project or just be like i think this is like a little bit different sound and we should save this for like later no it's like it's like a hard no okay you know, one will come through and you're like yeah you're not you're not a part of this maybe later though <laughs> you. This is not your world. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Um, so yeah, no, but I, it's uh, yeah, it's usually a pretty, pretty hard line. You know, along with you know being quick with the the takes and kind of just like wanting to to capture that energy is is mulling over the sequencing. So like, are you usually able to kind of really see where all the puzzle pieces? fit pretty quickly or is that something you spend a, a lot of time with spend a lot of time but for me a lot of time is like a whole evening you know like oh okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, i'm not yeah usually for the last two records actually it's funny this is perfect so for moonlit and devious i remember 
had the record and had a glass of wine. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And just kind of conjured. And then for utopian fantasy in a similar way, it was, but it was daytime and I had a cup of tea and I was like, let's do this. And it's funny because it's so much more, you know, those are their spirits in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, uh, Hasta La Vista track on yeah. Moonlit and Devious is, uh, one of my favorite tracks on that record, it also has uh, one of my favorite lines of lyrics from you, which is the always had faith in what I do not choose. Yeah. Thank love, you. Love that line. That, that's like one of those. Uh, yeah. That's one of those ones where I was listening late last night in the headphones and just kind of like gave me a lot to think about. And I was like, God damn it. You got me, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good to hear. Do you remember what you meant by that line at that time that you wrote it? Absolutely. I mean, to me, it means, you know, just believing in your destiny or fate. Like, I believe in what I don't choose. Like, it's not laid out for me. It's, or it is laid out for me. You see, like, it's, I have faith in what I don't choose. Like, all right, I'm going to flow over here what's happening now so that's what it meant to us <laughs> to me at a table experimental it felt like at times with that record like especially with the the instrumental tracks like Serpentress and the the interlude track that kind of like I feel like those are the things with those full-length records where it's kind of the offering of the next level of the the creative process so I appreciate that you leave some room for that and I know that kind of bleeds into the utopian fantasy record as well Absolutely. I've always been a fan. Well, I've listened to a lot of instrumental music. That's usually what I listen to at home. Always have. Love classical music. Listen to a lot of Brazilian jazz. And my favorite records have these long, weird 
instrumental breaks. And so, yeah, I mean, interlude is a very special song because we wanted to, ha- I wanted to have an interlude after Hasta La Vista. And Dylan Day, the guitar player, sort of uh, gave him a prompt, you know, I was like, this is what I'm feeling, what do you think? And he just played that, just played that the first time, first time. And he's just, that's what it was. So he's just, he's brilliant, such an artist. And it was just incredible. Again, capturing those moments, those special things. There was so much emotion in, in that take. And yeah, so I love that song too. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I've like really grown to appreciate instrumental music, especially in like this last 10 years, just because it gives you no narrative to like, <laughs> it gives you just no narrative to inform yeah. what you feel with a song. What a great way to put it. That's exactly how I feel about it, too. Rest. You can just rest. and just Yeah, move. yeah, for sure. It gives you a, a moment to breathe a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. How different, if at all, was the the process of making the Utopian Fantasy record opposed to Moonlit and, and Devious? Was it very similar as far as like just trying to live track as much as possible and get those one takes in? It was very different. It was a very, very, very different record. I mean, I still, you know, we recorded the bones of the record in London, but we had this portable rig. And so we were able to do sort of like field recordings in a way, you know, I was able to record in the house that I wrote most of the record in. So we set up mics and we were able to do, you know, something totally different and slowly layer on top of the bones of the record. But as fo- in terms of vocals and vocal takes, I'm always the same. We did all of the vocals just about uh, in the studio in London and... Yeah, so we recorded most of it there and a lot of it live, but because it was just me and my producing partner playing everything on the record, there was more layering this time. So it was different and it was a really new experience because usually we have these incredible players and we record everything live to tape. And this time it was just myself and my producing partner and we were experimenting more, you know, trying things out, layering. Um, yeah, so it was a, it was a bit more like that, but the vocal takes are all the same. And so, yeah, Cupid and Psyche, I had played all of that, um, psychotic harpsichord and <laughs> then, yeah, sang the song for the first time. So it was all sort of a similar, but very different experience, you know, and it was so fun having this portable rig because we were just in various hotel rooms. I mean, we recorded some background vocals overlooking the Rhine in Germany. Just oh, like, that's amazing. let's throw some background <laughs> vocals in here. So yeah. we just set it up anywhere we were. So that was really, really quite special. Yeah. How important do you feel like it is to have having that producer in the room to help facilitate your ideas or just be that extra set of ears for you and help inform where the songs go? Yeah, well, I produce all of my music as with my producing partner, but it is awesome to, it's always great to have someone else there to bounce ideas off of. And also Jason Bozell, who I produced the record with is so talented and so much of, he, you know, was in bands playing drums a lot. And so there's a lot of like rhythmic stuff. And I feel like a lot of that comes from him and he's really good at weaving in between sort of my rhythmic structures and singing. And so, yeah, he's just such a joy to work with. And it's, it's so awesome having, and I mean, I 
love collaborating more than anything. It's one of my most favorite things that I get to do collaborating with artists or musicians or producers, you know, it's, it's so, it's such a joy. So yeah, I think it's, it's super important. And also to have someone who can translate what you're saying, you know, or understands what you mean. Um, and you can sort of with the same common goal. It's, it's great. Yeah. Uh, specifically with the utopian fantasy record, the, the drum patterns and time signatures on things is something that really stand out to me. And I think it's just because of like where you sit in the pocket of those things too. Like it seemed like, it seemed like you, you tapped into some different things rhythmically um, from a vocal aspect with this one. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's awesome. It's, it's really wonderful to have, yeah, that space for each other rhythmically. So it's awesome. I, I enjoy, I really enjoy that part of the process too. I always have been attracted to drums and rhythms and I grew up dancing. So for me, rhythm and flow is very important uh, in terms of, you know, your listening experience and also in performing and recording. Yeah. And what about the environment of that uh, cottage in the woods mm-hmm. impacted the way you feel like the record came out or what you were feeling while making it? Yeah. I mean, most of the record was written in that cottage in the woods. And I think it was, it totally informed the way the whole record turned out because it was so much, again, of my internal world. It was a very solitary time, very um, nature focused time. It was beautiful. I'd just walk through the woods every day, twice a day for hours and just sort of think and write and feel. And it was wonderful. And, and also the cover imagery was taken outside of that cottage. So you really have the whole world right there. So that was fun being able to do that as well. Yeah. Set, setting the scene for it with the, the that cover for sure mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and just another record with the killer opening track like speaking to that that rhythm of the drums and your vocal delivery i think that greatest hits track is just so great um yeah. what you know we, we talked sequencing a bit what spoke to you about wanting to introduce this record with that greatest hits track I think that song embodies the identity of the record, you know, this sort of, because the lyrical content's quite dark and it's sort of this psychedelic journey. And that's really what this record is. It's kind of like a dark, light, psychedelic journey. And that song is very close to my heart. I I really love the songs that are written in stream of consciousness, and that is one of those. So... I was sitting and all of the words, everything, the melody, all came at once. So I wrote that song in about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. So for me, it just really embodied the record and embodied the sort of uh, lack of, I mean, similarly, always had faith in what I do not choose. It's like that sort of just letting yourself float down the river of whatever is and sort of like, in that song say writing top down through purgatory and that's kind of the embodiment of this record just like what yeah (laughs) so that's why i chose that song and i thought yeah i always love opening a record with a song that really embodies the record i felt that way about nothing sacred too you know that song really embodies the same with as i walk into the sea so yeah opening tracks are very important to me because I love a good opening track when I'm listening to 
record, one that you're just like, bam, just in. Yeah. Slingshot. Yeah, for sure. I definitely get that out of your records. Like yeah. you are you are creating a world from the get-go and you live in that world. Like and there's you know, some twists and turns, some ups and downs, maybe some of those instrumental tracks that we talked about along the way. And it's just uh I just still as much as I've become like I don't know, more open towards the the culture of singles. Like a front to back record experience is still untouchable and my preference. Me too. One hundred percent. I can't not. person that's like great at going with the flow and kind of not getting out like getting in your own way with the creative process or is that something that you have learned over time no I think I've always been that way and I think it's probably the way that I was raised and just my spirit in general I think I think as you get older you tend to trust as an as an artist you tend to trust yourself more don't second guess yourself as much, but all in all, I think I've pretty flowy. Yeah. So I consider myself pretty flowy gal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I've always been that way. Yeah. Do you think it also maybe helped that you uh, maybe started making music a little bit later in your life and you had all these other creative experiences and maybe like were able to, to kind of build that, that confidence of what you wanted to express? Absolutely. I always, I feel very grateful that I didn't start releasing music until later just for myself because I was able to, yeah, begin at a point where I really knew myself, um, which is, I think, very valuable and I feel very grateful for, for me personally as an artist. So absolutely being able to uh, explore all of those different art forms and then arriving at songwriting was, was a really wonderful way to I get to really know myself and root into that. Yeah. One of the things I dig, uh, from a production standpoint on, uh, the utopian fantasy record is a track like dreamboat soulmate. Yeah. When you got like all this trippy ethereal shit going on in the background, but then you've also got this very dry piano sound that kind of keeps you like grounded, like yes. in, in the world Absolutely. a little bit you know it's like this kind of push and pull thing between those two worlds a little bit 100 percent. i know that one's a really really fun one 
Uh, and we had my friend Declan McKenna playing guitar and we co-wrote the song together and he was there through the whole producing process. And you can feel that he's such a sprite in the studio. He's like, let's play piano. What are we playing now? <laughs> let's play synth. And he's just like doing all this stuff. And he's so talented. So he actually co-produced that one with Jason and myself. And I, you can feel the sort of, and I, that's why I love its placement in the, I think it starts side B, um, which is fun because it's sort of like, kicks it in that's sort of what Declan brought to the record that day just like and he was just in it was yeah really fun but yeah we wrote that one together that one's a really fun song different of an experience is it for you to write a song with somebody else in like opposed to writing on your own well i think when i write on my own it's more of a i'm hesitant to say pure experience because it's just it's more of like a conjuring if you will allowing to come through whatever it wants whereas when you're writing with other people which i also love Oftentimes, you know, if you're sitting down and having a writing session, which I love to do, I do all the time, it's more of a muscle, you know, where you can kind of, you of course have that magic and the inspiration that comes through. But for me, it's a little bit more of a muscle. And it's this interesting thing because you have two people in the room or more, you know, something that you would just write on your own, maybe doesn't feel like, you know, the group doesn't feel like it serves the song. So it's interesting. It's a bit more edited, but I think that that's really positive in some senses. And a lot of, you know, a couple of the songs on the record, because I write a lot with my producing partner, Jason Bozell, I had written most of, and then there were a couple of spots that, it, you know, needed something. And so it's fun to have people come in and give their ideas in that, or, you know, sort of how they interpret the song. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, I would imagine that maybe uh, forces like a different kind of creativity or like brings out a different creativity within yourself when you maybe have to work against the flow a little bit or having these other minds <laughs> in the room. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a, a track on this record that uh, maybe come, came out very different than what its uh, original demo looked like? Well... The demos were kind of just the songs because I, I guess I only ever do voice notes before I go into the studio. So it'll just be like me and the synth bass. You know, Utopian Fantasy took a pretty magical turn with the crazy jam. So that was fun. I wasn't expecting that, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I love that wild jam at the end. Yeah. I also love the like the string arrangements. Oh, yeah. So that, that was track. actually what I had started the song on that and the size so i had started the song with strings it was written well you know obviously since strings but 
that was sort of the world of where the song wanted to come from, the strings. Yeah, that in contrast to the deep, like, bass synth stuff going on is like a very cool feel. performance of things what what has that experience been like for you and are you kind of thinking about that at all when you're making a record of how it's going to translate live or are you just kind of like making the best record you can and then just figuring out where the pieces fall after as far as presenting it in in the live form because I know sometimes you're playing solo or you're playing with a band no, I never think about it. Not thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think just generally my taste is very much band, you know, parts, not not too much going on. I yeah. like to, because when I play live, I have it's just four piece, you know, so I like to have everyone and I don't try and emulate exactly the tones or anything of the record just kind of let it be a live performance of, of the recording. So I can't wait to play these songs live. And then we go out finally record, you know, playing these songs basically for the first time, uh, like a week and a half. Yeah. Is there like something fun about kind of learning how to play the songs after they've been uh, completed in a way? Yeah, it's fun. It's, well, it'll be fun for this record because Jason and I played everything. So it'll be awesome to see how other musicians interpret the songs. Whereas before, you know, in in, in uh, records past, it's kind of clear what the parts are and they could, you know, a guitarist could listen to the parts and nose parts. And so, you know, I think it'll be really fun to see how they interpret, especially because it's quite synthy. Yeah. So I'm excited to see, um, you know, what, what everyone wants to play. It's, it's a very fun part of the process for sure. Yeah. Because you're like digging into, you know, so much emotion through the lyrics and, you know, your experiences, is it a, a pretty vulnerable thing for you to to put a record out into the world absolutely i mean i, just, I think about it all the time I'm like god artists are so weird <laughs> just put our most intimate feelings and love and just work effort joy all of it into these records and it's like please buy it please like <laughs> you connect to it <laughs> of course it's the most vulnerable thing in the world it's wild is there any like scary feelings towards just you know the people closest to you even hearing the tracks or getting to hear more of like what's going on with your your inner dialogue or is that a pretty comfortable experience for you i guess that's i think i'm pretty open with the people in my life so i don't think it's you know that big of a surprise to them to hear the record but i absolutely i respect and love my peers and loved ones so much that of course i yeah but no they're very open and I enjoy making the record so much that 
you know, it's wonderful. You make this thing and it's so incredible to see who connects to it and why, you know, that is of course the most rewarding part of it. It's everything, you know, it's why you keep going forward and keep making records and putting yourself out there for those moments, big or small, um, where, yeah, you feel that connection with someone. For sure. Where do you feel like maybe you see the most growth in your process from where you, you started as far as, uh, as a musician and a songwriter to where you're at right now? I think, um, probably progressed the most in my production and trusting that I think when you start, you know, you're unsure, you're learning the terminology, but it's interesting. The last two records with the moon that devious in this record, I produced or co-produced and it's been wonderful stepping into that more so and trusting that the way you describe what you would like is correct and yeah. not being tripped up or afraid. And, you know, it's, I think that that's probably the way that I've progressed the most in trusting yourself and trusting the vision and knowing that it's your vision and you know, what's best, you know, you mother knows best. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Trusting that voice is a, is usually a good thing. Absolutely. And also just, um, I think naturally, yeah, be, becoming a little bit more experimental with what in my, you know, not even on purpose. I think you just naturally progress in your, especially as a singer, where you go, you know, each time it changes a bit more and more, you get a little bit more open, a little bit more free. Yeah. Connect the levels of your range. And it sounds like you're, uh, you know, from what you said, your parents did a great job of cultivating this very like creative environment that allowed you to uh, express yourself. But along your musical journey thus far, who do you feel like has maybe had like the biggest impact on your your process, whether it's like making music or just existing as an artist in the world? And it can be people you've toured with or shared stages with or just you know, general people in your life or artists that you've watched from afar that may have, uh, you know, that you might not even have a, a personal relationship with? Yeah. Let's see, I think the people who have really influenced me and helped my journey are my current producing partner, Jason Bozell. He really pushed me from an early, you know, from early stages to put my music out even. Yeah. you know, to perform, to do all of these things. And he's just been so supportive of my journey. And also, you know, in the studio, maybe not, you know, easiest person. I have a kind of, I wouldn't say that about myself. I mean, I feel very strongly about my art. And so he's been very understanding and works with me and really understands my vision and what I'm trying to say, you know, because it's like, I joke that I have like a clipboard, you know, and I'm like, it's not right. <laughs> 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 He's been wonderful. And also who a dear friend and collaborator, Mike Viola, who we worked with on my first EP, So Romantic, he really taught me so much about the recording process and just all kinds of things that I still do to this day, like singing without headphones. I never wear headphones when I'm recording. I just sing it 
and have you know monitors at a very low level so people oh, like wow. that and, yeah and, and also just my creative peers so many incredible women in my life that you know have been so supportive and seeing them perform and progress in their art you know has been super inspiring so i'm, I'm curious like what you feel like the difference is to having headphones on versus not having headphones on when you're recording your vocals and how those experiences are different. I mean, you're literally in your head. If you have headphones on, right. You can hear yourself as you're singing. I mean, it just, <laughs> it was really not working for me. And so he told me that the Beatles, the Beatles um, the <laughs> for their first few records, they didn't headphones weren't a thing then. Okay. So they didn't have headphones. It's like, oh, how interesting. But for me, it's, you know, so that I'm not in my head, I'm not overthinking it, that yeah. I can sing in my pure way. Um, it's, yeah, it's much better for me. I get very distracted and I, there's like, you know, a millisecond of latency. I just think that's so weird, you know? So for me, it's weird for me. No, that's, that's cool. People, uh, but I, yeah. I appreciate the the insight into your process. Like, <laughs> that's a... Uh, I don't know. It's not something I've really like thought about doing or like know too many people that like do things that way. So I think that that's, that's rad. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad to know that you have this very clear vision in your clipboard for what yes, these I things are supposed board. to sound like, you know, <laughs> like, cause it's, it's for me, it's, it's absolutely working. Like I love your music alley. You're writing some, some killer Aww. tunes and Thank yeah, you. I just, I just feel like you're, like I said, I think you're offering some some different things with with each collection of tunes, and uh, it's exciting to see like how it's evolved from that first so romantic yeah. EP and hear what you've uh, you've learned along the way. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. it's been great. Um, I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh, keep up with what you're doing and you know get themselves that that utopian fantasy record and. Yay! dive deep back into the rest of the catalog like i have done I, I would say that i can't encourage people enough to to go do that thank you um we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program program it means absolutely nothing it's just the way that my grandfather says the news program he always oh. says program so it's kind of an ode to him but it means absolutely nothing and you can deliver it however you would like Allie. okay it's a program she nailed it everybody <laughs> that's Allie crow buckley coming through on the podcast and i want to play the episode out with cowboy in london alley off that utopian fantasy record and uh what do you remember about writing this one i remember that this one was actually written in ojai your favorite my favorite um, place <laughs> favorite place and it's about my time as a teenager in london i went there for the first time when i was 16 alone and oh, wow. was a month and i had this terrible jet lag so i would wake up at five in the morning and just walk around london when it was empty and so i just felt like a little cowboy walking around <laughs> the streets of london <laughs> so like you know you obviously wrote that song or like had that experience a, a really long time ago so is that like something where you're referencing things that you even wrote during that time when you're putting a song like that together or is that you just kind of like reflecting on that time years later 
reflecting for sure. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, it's yeah. one of it's one of my favorite tracks on the record. Oh, yay. And we're gonna play it out with that one, Cowboy in London from that Utopian fantasy record. And uh yeah, thanks so much for jumping on the mics with me, Ali. I appreciate getting to chat with you. Well, likewise, it was so fun. Thank you. Yeah, and that is the Jelly Jams. All the links will be in the episode notes so you can keep up with Allie and we will catch you on the flip side. Portland, California, Ojai, London, the rest of the world, wherever you're listening from. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Allie. That was great. Thank you so much, Dan. That was a blast. Really appreciate it. Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with Distro Kid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. And big thanks to Drops for making some of my favorite edibles in the game, keeping me fine tuned with their gummies, whether THC heavy or CBD heavy. Great for stress and solid sleep. Find them at your favorite local dispensary. Appreciate the support. More info on drops in the episode notes as well. Stay up. Stay tuned.